0: Welcome to Lead to Succeed. This is the podcast to hear from the leaders of today in various fields, from entrepreneurs to corporate directors.
1: We hear their stories, lessons learned, and challenges faced, as well as insights and advice to become a successful and an inspiring leader.
0: The podcast is presented by us, Callum, and Rebecca Jenkins, as we both believe that we all have the potential to be outstanding leaders if that's what we choose. So Welcome everybody to our podcast. Today we have Taz Thornton and I think the best way to describe Taz is a powerhouse in helping others to unleash their fullest potential and she's described as the equivalent or being like Tony Robbins but with pink hair and I really think that says everything about her. So I am absolutely convinced that we're going to have a very full-on podcast with Taz today and she's going to share her thoughts on leadership, some challenges, share with us some practical advice that we can all implement in our everyday lives and in our businesses and uh, our work. And we are going to hand over to Taz now and say, Taz, please, a very big welcome to you.
2: Thank you very
0: much. Thanks so much for inviting me. And please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you before we kick off with the questions.
2: Well, I think you've pretty much summed me up beautifully. So what am I? I'm a coach. I specialize working with people in businesses, predominantly on things like leadership and personal brand development, getting more visible, making sure the right messages are coming through, which, of course, have to be the real messages. I'm not into helping people wear a mask. Um, I think too many people set out trying to a ba- brand or personal brand based on what they think they should be or who they think they should be and for me that's just building a castle on, car- on cardboard foundations it's never going to last so when I'm not doing that I'm an international speaker I'm a best-selling author award-winning coach I go all over the place what well, I did before lockdown and now it's all via the wonders <laughs> of the web um, encouraging inspiring motivating people wherever I can fantastic well, I'm
1: looking forward to this. Yeah, But well, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I was really interesting to hear a bit a little bit about you. Cool. Um, Something that is like a lot of stuff at the moment is kind of like sort of personal development coaching and that kind of thing. I was just wondering initially what sort of like got you involved in that sort of area.
2: Well, there's an old saying uh, that about um, nobody's ever met a, a good coach that that hasn't been through a load of shit. I'm paraphrasing there, obviously and really my own journey to becoming a coach was through my own life struggle so if i go back to well my early 20s at the time i felt stuck in a horribly abusive relationship i was struggling with um, depression i didn't want to do and i decided the only way to escape was by getting off the planet and checking out of life Um, i'm an only child i didn't want to devastate my mum. so my great plan having asked whoever was listening to, please just give me a terminal illness or something. I've done a lot of work to undo that now. I cracked this master plan, which was suicide by accident. So I took as many stupid risks as I could every day, anything that would help me avoid getting back to that front door that night. And that culminated in a car accident um, where I, well, let's cut a long story really, really short. I ended up breaking my back in three places there's nothing more sobering than being put on a flatbed in a hospital, having your head packed in sandbags and then hearing the words spinal damage to make you reevaluate and reassess. And it sounds so twee, but literally in that moment, I went from hopeless to hopeful. I went from saying, please let me die to please let me walk. Just let me walk and I'll use what I've been through to help other people. Um, So I got out of that. Clearly I am walking again. Well, I've got a broken foot at the minute. I'm I'm in a boot. So I'm kind of hobbling at the moment. Um, (laughs) And then I did what so many people do when they have a pivotal moment. I went straight back into my comfort zone, which at the time was career goal setting. And by the time I was in my early 30s, I was UK director for, one of, for what at the time was one of the UK's biggest multinational publishing companies, which sounds great on paper. You know, I had the designer gear. I had the big swish suit up Audi A6. Um, they didn't have the a 5s at the time. or you know, might have been tempted. Um, everything on paper looks great except i was absolutely dying from the inside out and it took um my uh, what i refer to in my talks as my eight weeks of hell in 2006 before i did something about it and in that time zone my uncle died my dad died my mum completely unraveled a load of family debt we hadn't been aware of came to light so my financial future as i thought it was was ripped out overnight um my partner was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and then made redundant uh, our family home was broken into the one night I went away for business and at the end of that when I found myself kind of rocking and crying and trying to hide under my mum's dining room table I realised something had to give and it couldn't keep being me I did go back to work. It, I worked through a breakdown. In hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. At the time, I was just kind of going through the motions every day. I can look back now and say, somehow I managed to hide that and work through a breakdown. Self-medicated with a bit too much whiskey at night. Um, pinstripes on, makeup on, get into the office, park somewhere at lunch, cry, call home, makeup back on, get through to the night, cry. And that cycle went on for four years until I got out. But the one thing during that four year period that I recognized is that although I'd always kind of been steered into believing that publishing and journalism was my dream, and I did love it at the time, it was great for the ego, but it wasn't doing anything for my soul. And I recognized that the one thing that was actually filling me up was finding other people in the business who were perhaps about to go on to a final warning or weren't weren't performing and saying, before you get rid, can I just have a go? And they did this kind of, you're one of the directors. What do you, just let me try. And every time I managed to turn them around and they became happy, fulfilled model employees because it's all about connecting. Not what you want someone to do, that goes to my microphone, but what that someone wants. What do they want from their future? What fills them up? What inspires them? Not everybody's going to be inspired by hitting goals. Some people are inspired by enabling people, by helping people. by just making people feel good if you can work out what drives that other person, then you can really step into that leadership role. Then you can inspire them and help them to move forwards. Really, I think when you're in management or leadership, we all think our staff work for us, but actually we work for them. That's how you get the best from people. So I started to retrain. I'd always been interested in spirituality from a, for a young age. So I'd been working with shamans and medicine people on really old style personal development techniques for a long time. Um, then I trained in neurolinguistic programming then I trained with the same guys who trained Tony Robbins to become a firewalk instructor and extreme empowerment instructor I trained in enterprise mentorship I did a bit of coaching training and by the time I got out I had this skill set that's how I got into personal development well
1: thank you very much for sharing Uh, that was uh, a really insightful story you know that was was really personal so thank you very much thank you I think one of you know those key things you said. There seems to be like resilience, you know, getting through like a tough time in your background and you know being able to progress through and sort of see how you how you perceive things and look at things like have that changed and stuff. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for sharing that. Thank
2: you. Thank touch you. On I,
1: go, on, oh, go for it. Go for it. I,
2: I think I think a lot of people get caught in this rigid mindset of the the picture they paint for their future as they're growing up. And it can be scary to shake that up and change it. I could by now still be sitting right at the top of a, of a publishing empire somewhere, but I would be dying from the inside. I, I might not even be alive now. And I think we need to be brave enough to shake things up. And rather than just thinking, am I earning enough? Am I providing for my family? Is my retirement pot and my pension on track? Rather than that, we need to be looking at what's in here, what's filling us up, who do we want to be not not so much what do we want to be but who do we want to be and I think particularly in a lot of kind of left brain not just management but also even left brain coaching leadership there's an awful lot of people out there knocking things like um, phrases such as heart based and authentic and I think really if anybody has an issue with talking about things that are heart-based or authentic, we have to ask why. And yes, they can be overused. Yes. They can be a cliche. We shouldn't ever have to tell somebody that we are authentic. We show someone that we're authentic, but I think the world has spent far too long identifying itself between kind of two spheres, either so logical and left brain that they have to see it, believe it, taste it and smell it before they can move forwards or so kind of airy fairy and right brain that they have to draw an angel card before they get out of bed in the mornings. And we polarize ourselves. Where well, for me, the magical sweet spot is right in the middle. So we need to be willing to shed our perceptions, to stop trying to conform to who we think we should be and to do what used to be dismissed as navel gazing, because we cannot grow until we know ourselves and we can only take other people as far as we have been courageous enough to to dream to look to learn so we need to just break the mold and we need to be brave enough to look inside a lot more than we do it's not navel gazing it's not self-indulging it's indulgence, it's it's not a waste of time it's a way that we can inspire and lead by example and with a real truth to it that is missing all too often
1: I think you're sharing tons of value with us here. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> making my life a lot easier. I don't really have to ask any questions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Callum, just shut that's me up. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: really, I, I'd rather you carried on talking about like that. I think you've <laughs> mentioned a lot of great points, and thank you very much. Um, I think one thing I was going to say to sort of like summarise what you've just said is, I was going to ask you, like, what do you think makes a good leader? What sort of traits would the exhibit? And I think you touched on a couple of things there. You said about, you know, understanding that people in your organisation don't work for you is kind of the other way around. Is how can you empower them? questioning your beliefs and where do you want to go and that sort of thing and also like leading by example um is there anything else you might like to add or kind of refine that a little bit to like what you think makes a good leader
2: yeah I I think we need to get out of the old-fashioned idea of uh, of recruitment um where we want somebody to come in and then we do everything to nail them to the desk clearly coronavirus has shaken that up for us quite a lot yeah sure but I think in old style leadership, we've always been terrified of getting to the point where somebody might want to leave because then we'll have to retrain and we'll have all the recruitment fees and all that stress and all that headache. And we gave them a job. Why can't they just be loyal? And there's a really real technical term I've discovered for that. And that's bullshit. Um, (laughs) I think if we take the time as leaders to genuinely get to know somebody... You know, what, what are the kids' names? Have they got a dog? What sort of dog is it? What's the dog's name? What's their partner's name? What do they enjoy doing? Not the stuff you'll get from their file, mm. the stuff that makes them tick as a human being. And create a culture right from the beginning where if they have dreams that in order to fulfill them, they will need to go beyond your organization, then for me, the best leaders work with them to fulfill that. So that if and when that person does move on, they are taking with them the the best the best view of your business. That's where you get the that word of mouth endorsement. It's where you get people queuing up and wanting to work for your organization because they know you genuinely have your employees at heart. You know, I think they, they say, don't that the, the, the pe- your people are your most valuable asset. An old style used to be, right, people are our most valuable asset. Let's sell our people. We need to. We need to break that. We need to help people to progress. I'll do that. Now, if there's somebody coming up, you know, beneath me, who's, who's a coach, a leader, a speaker, and they need help, I will often give them a hand and lift them over the top of my head, because frankly, if somebody's nipping at my heels, then I've been slacking off too much anyway. If I help somebody up, they're more likely to give me a hand later on. And another, tra- I'm going way over, over, off at tangents at uh, tangents at the moment, so I hope this is helpful for you. But another-, Good. another thing that really, really frustrates me with organizations is the clampdown they have on people using social media. And I don't mean allowing their employees to dick about on Facebook all day and playing Angry Birds or Farmville or whatever it is now. But I mean, empowering their employees to actively create a personal brand If they actively encourage their employees to create a personal brand, of course, give them parameters. They can't be off building their own business while they're working for you if it's impeding their job. But if somebody is on LinkedIn talking about what it's like to work at your organization, what they've been up to today, what you're like as a leader, what the culture's like, why they fit in, why they love it so much, what their hobbies and interests are. Let them have an opinion online. That makes you a desirable organization because again, it puts you people first.
0: I completely agree with that Taz and I'm loving what you're sharing with us. Can I just go back a little bit because you talked about, I mean, I have a phrase, you can't run the car on empty, but you were in a place where you were down and not enjoying what you were doing, but you were helping others So, for me, that's a bit. How did you manage to do that when you weren't feeling great yourself or in the best place? Um,
2: I think at some points it was probably a bit of a distraction. But what I realised is that did start to become the fuel in my tank. Okay. I recognised that the, one of the things that really did lift me up was being able to use some of my experiences to empower others. And that wasn't always easy. I'm sure there are some people that you'd speak to who knew me when I was in early management who would say I was a crap manager because, you know, there wasn't much of a progressionary route. I had my hands pretty much tied in terms of what I was allowed to offer. There are only so many quick wins and heart-based um you know soft soft skill wins you can pass on before they run out but certainly having stepped back from there would i help people one-to-one and did i yes could i always give people what they wanted in terms of the progression within the organization no because of course i had people up here i not good. the amount of times i got my wrists firmly slapped by agreeing to do something for an employee that head office disagreed with was unbelievable so, for instance, we had um one of our editors desperately wanted to go to India, and I knew she wasn't wasn't happy in the role, but I also knew that there's no way hq would sign up off on an expensive on expensive trade uh, trip to India. So I said, "Well, how many feature articles can you get out of that How many and if you were going to budget for those feature articles from freelancers, how much would that cost you And we made it balanced so that on paper it was cheaper for her to go overseas and write that same level of features that it would have been to create freelancers. So off she went, and I ticked that box. But the kicking I got behind the scenes for that was unbelievable because we have rigid company structures have constraints, Yeah. you know, I'm much more flexible. So it's it's, um, my team now, they're all freelancers. I don't employ anyone, I have lots of freelancers, but it's never, I want people working from this time to this time. I don't care if they, if they can do a good job for me in five minutes and I'm still paying for that hourly rate, I don't care. Have fun with what you're doing, be committed to the work that you're doing, do a really good job. And if you can do that faster, fine, clock off. And that was another area where I sometimes fell down. You know, I was looking after the editorial sectors. And for me, if a journalist has been out working late that night before, if they've all worked really hard on deadline, And it gets to two o'clock and everything's done. I would frequently on a Friday say, right, guys, you've done a great job. We're all finished. Off you go. But of course, then sales would kick up because they work nine to five. And I got stopped from being able to do that for my team. So I think. There are good and bad in management. There are a lot of good managers trying to do good work who aren't always able to do that. Um, But certainly if. I get to the point where I start building a team of employed people and it's it's not something I want to do. But if I did that, then I would be far more flexible. I'd be a far more experimental. I'd be trying things like, okay, rather than rigid holidays, take as much time as you want so long as the job is, is done. Work the hours that suit, suit you so long as the job is done. Of course, there needs to be some flexibility if there are things like calls coming in between certain times that needs to be manned. But I would be much more keen look at what an individual's needs were what an individual's uh where an individual's soul lay what's their soul mission apart from rather than what do they want us to think they want on their cvs there's a difference between a cv dream which is what we present to a different employer depending on how badly we want them to employ us and what our soul mission is what really lights us up i want to find out what lights people up i want to be aware of that and i want to use all of the skills i have while they're working with and for me to make that happen i want to be the one connecting them with people i want to be the one saying sure go and build that business on the side if you think you can do it and that's not going to conflict how can i help um so back to the original question helping people lights me up it's one of the things i love doing it is part of my soul mission when i was really really depressed again i think sometimes it would have been i'll go and help that person over there because then i'm not thinking about my own life which was a, a beautiful accident to discover how much that thrilled me Uh, But I learned so much from there going forwards. I learned so much about the constraints we sometimes set into business life needlessly. The ridiculousness of some of the criteria we set down in terms of what's allowable within a working environment the stupidity of trying to treat everybody the same in every department, when each department has different goals, different needs, different aims, different working structures, different timeframes to work to. We need to stop being Stepford, you know, and we need to start being far more human.
0: Well, you touched on it, um, Tasman. you said about leadership to serve. And I agree with that completely. You, team have chosen to work with you but you're there
2: to serve them totally and that's yeah. how you get the best from them if we yeah. serve our teams powerfully they will serve us powerfully a team that does not feel heard does not feel appreciated and a team that doesn't that does not feel appreciated will not be productive and yeah. you are not gonna get more out of them by whipping them
0: yeah do you know it reminds me of um uh, i worked very closely with the body shop uh-huh. and we did all their logistics for them and i remember uh, calling them on a friday afternoon and nobody answered the phone and i thought what's going on and it was because it was a beautiful sunny day in little hampton where the head office was and she'd let all the staff go off to the beach yeah. <laughs> and i remember thinking at the time well that's a bit odd but you know she was so far ahead in terms of the environment and the way it is, business i learned so much from from her as an individual but mm. at that, that point just it really made me think hmm, okay yeah you know, there's a there's a different way of leading different ways of yeah. doing business and yeah. she she epitomized a lot of what's really good about leading a team Sadly, so totally. no longer with us but yeah uh learned a lot from that so tell us how tell us how you've um you've had an awful lot of challenges to deal with and you've shared shared uh, some of that. What has been the biggest challenge for you from moving from helping others to being where you are today, recognised, established, um, and known? What's, what's been the biggest challenge from you getting from where you were to getting
2: to where you are today? Challenge is a funny word, because if I look back, I can't see challenges as such. I can find times that were that were tougher, where I perhaps took on too many clients or I worked longer hours or I drove myself into the ground. Actually, the biggest challenge, there is one. And this will this will probably resonate with quite a few people. I am genuinely in a position now where I love what I'm doing. And when so many people say, what is it you want to do in the future? Well, more of what I'm doing now, but just to bigger audiences. And of course, my fees will, will, will go up so that I can spend more time doing um, charitable pro bono work. And the, my paid for corporate clients are paying the bills and yes. things like that. But the, the biggest challenge when you love what you're doing so much that it doesn't feel like work. Yes. Is that I don't realize sometimes when I'm burning out. Because I love it so much, I do genuinely don't realise when I'm getting really, really knackered. So I'll sometimes get to a point where all of a sudden I'll go, oh my God, I need a holiday and I need it yesterday. <laughs> so I've learned over the past couple of years to be much more, um, I don't want to say rigid, but to use, to use time blocking and diary planning a lot more. So, for instance, now um, I don't I don't take clients on Tuesdays unless it's an absolute emergency. That's my admin catch up and newsletter day where I work with my team to do promotions for the week ahead. Um, and although I sometimes have to encroach in it when I do the old oh, taking on one two, one client too many, um, I take the last week of every month off. And that's for me to recalibrate, to do some spiritual work, to to catch up with meditation, to maybe do some some writing for me rather than for others to just stop and and smell the coffee. Um, And it's amazing how much you can create. It's, It's amazing how much you can achieve in a three week month when we think we've got to work for four. And that kind of taps back into these ideas of of what I would do if if I was managing people now, because if I'm driven to get that last week off and to chill, then suddenly I'm much more enthusiastic about working with more clients during those other three weeks. Um, So yeah, biggest challenge is making sure we take care of ourselves enough because when we're genuinely passionate about our work, we sometimes don't realize when that fuel gauge is starting to blink a little bit Um, but things that more practical challenges that I wouldn't necessarily see as challenges they're just things that I've done Um, building a brand pretty quickly going from you know zero to 100 miles per hour in no time at all Um, I was bimbling about building this business since I left corporate in 2010 when I first left I was working with with my wife on on her business we were running a full service kind of PR marketing social media agency together, Turquoise Tiger, with the plan that I'd step out when my business built enough. That happened about five years earlier than we thought it would. But even then I was I think probably coasting, slow incline, gradual, you yeah, know, it wasn't quite Ben Nevis, it was it was more a slight a slight slope at a shopping center. Um, but then when my wife became quite ill and we had to um, we had to remodel her business a little bit and let some of the highest paying clients go, all of a sudden I hit this shit. I've got to do something now. And that's when I absolutely hit it. I just turned up my volume. I I got on doubled, tripled, quadrupled what I was doing online, my output. I spent a lot more time thinking about the people I wanted to help. And instead of thinking, what's my message? Thinking. What is it that's waking them up at four o'clock in the morning? What do they need? What? How can I serve them? Not what can I sell? How can I serve them? The, the model flipped from, let's run this workshop. That'll be fun, fun. How long, how many people do we want? How long do we need to fill it? Can we do that? Yeah, we can do that into what do they want first and how do I serve that? And then very quickly, I went from a relative unknown to, to being everywhere you know, people would come to me and, and say, what are you doing? You must be on social media all the time. Every time I turn on my feed, whichever channel, you're, you're there all the time. And people would turn up to events and we'd do the usual, how did you find out about it? Well, you just popped up on my Facebook, you know? Um, so it's that. And that I think that's an important thing as well. This is not so much in terms of team leadership, but in self-leadership is managing your levels of necessity. If we don't turn our levels of necessity up, we will work to the capacity we feel we need to.
0: I love that, Taz, actually. I think that's Mm, um, a good good analogy, a really good analogy. And, And it's kind of, we can work to that level of necessity, but there's something that can really drive you on beyond that. And I think that comes from what you're saying about you
2: love what you do, you want to serve, you've got a passion to serve. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean we used to you remember when, when if I go back to my childhood, every now and then there'd be some newspaper article about a woman who'd, you know, picked a car or a puffer child or this, oh, these yeah, these yeah. these feats of strength that come from nowhere. Yeah. And I think we've all got that. That's kind of where my unleash your awesome catch catchphrase came from because I genuinely believe we've all got this pot of awesome potential and we're not tapping into it you know I got tired of having potential I didn't want to have potential I wanted it now I didn't want to you know I don't want my tombstone to say has had. I don't want a tombstone actually but if I had one I don't want it to say had potential yeah I want it to say helped a shitload of people lived a happy life <laughs> yeah
0: so it's not settling for mediocrity is it it's going for those big
2: goals that big vision because we
0: can can really it happen. yeah
2: mediocrity is a funny word isn't it and again there's a lot of backlash going on around this in the coaching sector at the moment a lot of people kind of slagging off this whole take massive action attitude but for me massive action is entirely subjective so if I go back a few years um ago I was working with a local authority running some empowerment sessions for people who'd been through domestic abuse and the one particular lady who turned up and she'd been through her we- horrendous abuse. She'd been, kept, she'd been locked in a room. She'd been kept on drugs. And by the time she escaped, she was addicted to the drugs. Her teeth had rotted because she was clinically addicted, even though she'd been force-fed them. Her kids were taken away. And when she t- turned up to this event, she'd got her, I guess she wouldn't be a care assistant, but whoever was looking after her case had to drop her right at the door to come in because she'd also, she'd also become severely agoraphobic. And by lunchtime she walked into town to get a sandwich and you know within that week instead of ordering shopping in she was going to the supermarket she went back to school and and got grades that we would see as quite rudimentary but but to her was like a phd she took her kids to see spider-man at the cinema took her daughter dress shopping she got her kids back those things for claire were massive action now to you and i Massive action. So I, need, I think we need to stop knocking massive action. We need to stop having a go at these people trying to push people to do more. It's right that we will all have a level and we will all reach that level where we feel comfortable and confident and happy. And that's great. If you don't want to go any further once you get to that point, fantastic. But we should not be putting out a message to others that they should settle. Because a lot of people, when they say, oh, when when you say you don't need to keep taking massive action, they are settling. They're settling for a life that other people have conditioned them to have. Mm -hmm. How many people stay in marriages where they're just not happy? Mm -hmm. How many people stay in jobs where they're not happy? How many people stay in neighborhoods, in lives where they are just not happy? And for me, if someone genuinely isn't happy, we should never, ever encourage them to stay there. And that's my trouble with mediocrity. Because people will every now and then come back and say, well, what's wrong with mediocre? Well, it depends on your definition of mediocre. But if I say, if, if think about your health. If your health can be between the levels of one and 10, one is you're bedridden, 10 is you're at peak fitness and you're able to throw anything life ha- throws at you. Who on earth is going to say, no, I just want a five, I just want middling health? <laughs> I think we feed ourselves all kinds of bullcrap crap when it comes to this mediocrity word. And it's because we're afraid of... We're afraid of going for it or we're stuck in this attitude of looking at other people and saying, well, the grass is greener for them. Yet my grass is greener because I water my lawn. Simple.
0: Yes. What What three pieces of advice, Taz, practical piece of advice would you give to our listeners so that they can um, really be amazing leaders? What, what would you what
2: would you say? Three things that they could they could do? or consider or think about or listen to your team and I mean take the time to listen to them properly listening is one of those skills that we think we have but in fact we're usually listening to respond or we're thinking did I remember to take the chicken out of the freezer have I filed those reports we're not giving 100% of our attention when I did that work working with shamans and medicine people one of the one of the core tenets we learned was to give 100% of our attention to whatever it is we're doing and I don't care if that's being in a team meeting or sitting in front of EastEnders or soaking in the bath with a nice fizzy bath bomb. Give that 100% of your attention. Learn to control your thoughts instead of your thoughts controlling you. So listen to your teams and really listen to them. Give them a safe space to tell you what they really want to achieve in their lives rather than trying to fit it to your company agenda and you'll go much further. Uh, Number two, talk to your teams bring them bring them on board tell them what you want to achieve ask them how you how can I help you to come on board with that how can we align your dreams to make sure that all the time you're with us you are we're, we're, we're aligned but we're also supporting you to get to where you want to be as well how can this be a, a mutually beneficial relationship how can we help each other to succeed listen to your teams talk to your teams. And number three, and this is the most important rule of all in leadership, don't be a jackass.
1: Concise. Yeah, no, I think they all really good points to no, uh, no bullshit, as you said. Um, I just wanted to say, thanks very much for sharing everything you said. I think you, you know, you shared some really personal stories, some insights into what you've been working on and kind of your own sort of like personal career and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's been really insightful. Um, is there anything to sort of like wrap things up that you wanted to share with our audience something that's perhaps coming up in your work in the future or something you're working on right now anything in your life that's just kind of going on that you want to share
2: oh there's <laughs> always things coming up in my life um i run a 13 month spiritual empowerment program every year um that's starting again in january we're nearly full but we could probably get about another three or four people in we got a lot of people from leadership roles coming into that and it's a real experience where you drop the boardroom it's proper rustic you know we we sleep in a shared gur, we work in 14 acres of open countryside there's an underground dreaming chamber there's a labyrinth on labyrinth on the site there are acres of orchards and it's where we bring in some of those medicine teachings coupled with things like nlp coaching talk therapy and people say it's really transformational we've got everyone from scientists to former military personnel to office workers and we we've even got um, a retired head teacher who's been with us for the past six years so that's coming up in january it's called the big one on my website um in a couple of weeks november the 4th i've got a program coming up i'm running with my wife Asher. never-ending content which is how people in from all walks of life including leaderships can come up with A never ending stream of content to put out on social media because one of the things that stops people from building that personal brand and putting themselves out there is they say, I've got nothing to say. Everybody's got something to say. We just need to show you how and what. But there are always things coming up. Check my website, TazThornton.com. Find me on social. I'm prolific on LinkedIn, a little less prolific on Facebook than I used to be. I'm married to LinkedIn now and I'm having an affair with Facebook. (laughs) quite a steamy (laughs) fling with twitter (laughs) you can find me pretty much anywhere apart from snapchat you'll find me on snapchat but i'm not active (laughs) don't care what gary v says i think i'm too old for
0: snapchat (laughs) i love that taz thank you so much you've been so generous with your time and your insights and sharing of your experience and
2: advice to support and help others be awesome you'd be awesome too thank you so much for inviting me everybody at home everybody listening i can't unleash your awesome for you we can we can all only give you advice you have to do it we can't do the sit-ups and build your abs but make sure you have fun doing it yeah
0: thank you Thanks, thank you, very much. Yes. Thank you.